The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. My name is Kyle Bruce, and I'll be your moderator for today's show. I'm joined by author Larry Sternberg, our expert on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can make a difference. Today's topic for our discussion is a continuation of our discussion on the growth formula that Larry and Kim laid out in their book, Managing to Make a Difference. In particular, we're going to focus on today's uh, focus today's discussion on Chapter 16, which is titled Optimize Fit and why that is so important in helping people to self-actualize. As a bonus, uh, and to help make this a much better show today, we're also joined by Taylor McMaster. Taylor is a senior leadership consultant for Talent Plus and has worked at Talent Plus since the early 90s. Uh, she has many incredible gifts, including being a gourmet chef, uh, a brilliant writer and artist. She has a great eye for interior design, and she has one of the greatest gifts for reading and understanding people that I have ever personally met. Taylor's worked with some of our most acclaimed clients, and she was a road warrior doing consulting up to and beyond 200 days a year, and she's also certified thousands of people, I'm sure, on our assessments, and she's studied and consulted with thousands of leaders across the globe as well. Taylor's also responsible for recruiting me to Talent Plus, so I owe her a great deal of credit for putting me on my current career path, and uh, Taylor is... It's great to have you join us on today's show, Taylor. Great to have you here. Thank you so much. So, Larry and Taylor, let's let's get started. Let's talk a little more about this concept of fit. In our previous podcast, uh, we talked about the growth formula, that talent plus fit times investment equals growth. And today, putting more of that focus on optimizing fit. Uh, can either of you experts on the growth formula, uh, can either of you give us a short recap on the definition of fit and why it's so important to the growth of people? Taylor, why don't you start? That sounds great. Um, at its most basic, uh, when you think about the concept of fit, we've talked, I know that they've talked throughout the podcast um, about talent and about natural behaviors and uh, about things that people automatically, spontaneously do. So at its most basic, when we think about fit, we are thinking about the fact that the natural, spontaneous behaviors that people have, the talent, if you will, that those natural, spontaneous behaviors are the ones that are needed to create success in the role. So, for instance, I'm what I call a rampant extrovert. So you don't want to put me in a job where I have to sit in a room with the door closed and work on the book because that's not a natural fit for what I spontaneously do well. And when we talk about talent, when we talk about those spontaneous behaviors, those are things that are triggers, but there are things that automatically happen that almost have to happen. So for me, it's vital to be engaging with people. You don't want to put me in a role where that's not what you want me to do because I'll still do it. I can't help myself. So at its most basic, that's one of the ways to think about fit. 
and we think about fit in a number of different dimensions in terms of fit for a job, fit for an, uh, an organization or a mission, or even an overall company value set. But then we look at fit for a role, for a manager, and for a team. And so literally years and years ago, uh, there was an interview that we did with a uh, woman who was, at that point, the director of a long-term care facility for a senior population. And in the content of her interview, one of the things she said was, you know, I really just don't like working with old people. And that just came out spontaneously in the course of her interview, and so it wasn't a fit for the overall drive of the organization. Excuse me, Larry. No, no, that's right. Please, uh, Please continue. Uh, I'm going to let you take it and run with it now. Well, uh, okay. Wonderful. So, fit is contextual. And it's interesting to note that whether or not you see something as a strength or desirable behavior or undesirable behavior, it depends on the context in which the behavior is expressing itself. So, as you were, as you were stating about yourself, you're a rampant extrovert. And that behavior is going to express itself and you can't stop it. That's who you are. So you need a good fit for you is a role where being an extrovert is what's called for in order to achieve success. And where and, and a bad fit for you is one where you have to spend a lot of time by yourself working on things. So the, the context totally determines whether we view something as a good fit or as a strength. And the example I'm going to use about that is, uh, my favorite example is, is Mike Tyson. Now, remember the formula is talent plus fit times investment equals growth. So let's start with what Mike Tyson's big talent is, his big gift in life. It's beating people up. That's his big gift in life. So that enabled him to become the world's youngest heavyweight champion in the history of organized boxing. He became heavyweight champion when he was 21 years old. So the the right fit for somebody whose gift is beating people up is to use that inside the boxing ring or some other combat sport where if you use it in that context, you become a world famous sports hero and zillionaire. It's commonly known that Mike made more than 300 million dollars during his boxing career. Now, if you use that same gift, beating people up, if you use that same gift outside the boxing ring, you get thrown in jail. And Mike's had both. But it's important to recognize it's the same behavior. It's the context that's different. And I'll give you one more example to really bring this home. Think about the behavior of lying. Lying is universally condemned uh, and when you're raising children, you, you, you really help them understand that lying is bad and they shouldn't do it, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't like to work with liars. However, there's even a fit for people who enjoy lying and are good at it. I want you to think about undercover police work. If you're an undercover policeman, you have to be very good at lying. Your health and your life depend on it. So you have to like to do that every day, and you have to be very good at it. So for many, uh, many, many behaviors and gifts, 
you need to find the right context for someone. So you understand someone's talent, understand their gifts, and then ask yourself the question, what's the right fit for that person where they have to change the least in order to be successful where their natural behaviors and what they enjoy doing happen to be a good fit for that role. You get them in that fit. Then people are going to be able to self-actualize through their work. Then you can look at somebody and say, you don't have to change to be successful in this role. I want you to become more of who you really are because that's what the role calls for. So that's that's why you want to optimize the fit. When you do that, people look forward to going to work because they know they're going to spend the day doing things they're good at and enjoy. They're going to add the most value to their organization, to their team, and they're going to have the most success for themselves. So the, the more any organization can move toward getting more people, spending more time doing things they're good at and enjoy, that's the right fit, more time in that space, all the metrics move, all of them. Customer satisfaction, customer loyalty, reduced defects, increased quality, increased productivity. All the metrics move when you get the fit right. And so for those listeners who have employees reporting to them and you want to make a difference in their life, if they're not succeeding in their jobs, ask yourself the question, are they in the right fit? Let me tell you how you know when somebody's in the wrong fit. Somebody's in the wrong fit when you are asking them for behavior that they do not have in their repertoire. When you put somebody in a role that consistently and and day in and day out asks them for behavior they don't have in their repertoire, you're going to destroy their self-esteem. And you're going to make it even worse if the other members of the team are naturally good at whatever this is. They have those behaviors. They enjoy doing them. And then you say to the employee, listen, this is easy. I can do it. Everybody on your shift can do it. What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. It's your attitude. You have a bad attitude. You're not trying hard enough because this is easy. And, and you'll, just, you'll just destroy the person's self-esteem if you do that. What I want you to entertain is the following possibility. Are they in the wrong job? If somebody has a weakness in an area that is absolutely crucial to success in a particular job, they are almost certainly in the wrong job. So... I'd like to just pause there and see what comes next. Sure. So, so Larry, we say, you know, if somebody's in the wrong fit, um, does that does that go back to the concept of of talent? We talked about talent being a natural, you know, natural for somebody. It's their potential to be excellent in a role. So, essentially, when you look at talent and you look at fit, you, those two are coming together. And furthermore, I guess my question is, can somebody achieve growth if they're in the wrong fit? Well, of course, if you want to make it that absolute, of course they can can achieve some growth sure. if they're in the wrong fit. And if they can become self-aware that they're in the wrong fit, they can achieve growth in wisdom because they know what it's like to be in the wrong fit. And you're not doing your employees a favor if they're in the wrong fit, if they don't fit the role that they're in. You're not doing them a favor by leaving them there. 
you're you're making the wrong difference in their life. You're you're making a negative difference in their life, even if it's painful to get them out of that role. Painful for them, most particularly, and maybe painful for you. But if somebody is in a bad fit, leaving them there, I will tell you, is it's not good for their career and it's not good for their life. So you can achieve growth no matter what experience you're going through. Right. If you are self-aware and can focus on what you're learning from going through this experience. So in many ways, you'd say, you know, in the concept of managing to make a difference, moving somebody out of the wrong fit is your responsibility. Um, A, it's your responsibility to put them in the right role in the first place. Now, that's not their fault if you put them in the wrong role. That's yours. And so when you do discover they're in the wrong fit, that's also as a leader in managing to make a difference. You can make a huge difference in somebody's life if you help them to find a role that's a much better fit where they can find a lot more satisfaction. That's right. And there are times when a person is in the wrong fit, but they also happen to be blessed with intense determination to succeed. And if you're in the wrong fit, that determination will keep you hanging in there. But it won't. It won't give you the capacity to prove excellence in the role if you don't have the right, don't have the right talent for that role. And people with their determination will stay in that bad fit, trying to figure out how to de- succeed. And that's determination is to their credit. And that's when their boss has to take over and say, it, "We're going to call it here. It's time. It's time to make the decision." Yeah, you have to make the decision sometimes on their behalf because they're so determined. Well, we're well, coming up to a break here. Uh, Taylor, let's start to interrupt. We're coming up to a break here. I want to finish a little bit on this thought when we come back. I also would like to, uh, Larry to tell us the story of the scorpion and the frog. It's one of my most favorite stories, and it comes in this chapter of the book. So join us after the break, everybody. Uh, also, if you haven't ordered your copy of Managing to Make a Difference, you should go ahead and take this time to go to Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble and get your copy uh, now. And also, we would love to hear from our listeners. If you have questions or comments, all you have to do is click the email host button above the podcast description, and we'll work some of those topics into an upcoming podcast. So we'll be right back after a few moments. Have a great break. We'll talk to you soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. 
our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Well, welcome back, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. We've been talking to Larry Sternberg and our guest, Taylor McMaster, about the concept and importance of uh, fit and the growth in others. This topic does come from Chapter 16 of Larry and Kim Turnage's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And we were just talking about the concept of fit and knowing that fit is when uh, somebody's natural talents are the ones that are needed for excellence in the role. That's really how we define it. And it's part of that broader context of what we call the growth formula, talent plus fit times investment equals growth. And we we're talking about how it's so important to make sure that we understand if somebody's uh, in the right role. And Larry had talked about Mike Tyson and his fit for, uh, you know, his passion, his talent for uh, being a great fighter and knowing that's a great fit when he's in the ring but not so much of a great fit when he's outside of the ring and the rest of society. And Taylor was going to bring a point up to us, so I'll turn it over to Taylor. All right. And Larry was talking about um, when you are uh, working with an individual who may be highly determined and very tenacious and and maybe very, you know, competitively driven, and they just set their sights on making this work even when their, their natural talents are not really a fit for the role. And that's where it behooves the manager to really think about moving a person into the right fit so that all of that drive and determination becomes an exponential success instead of just a rear guard action to try to make certain that, uh, that they're seeking the best, uh, you know, the best avenue for success. So you want to put all of those good qualities where they're going to make the biggest difference. Kind of goes back to the, uh, the title of the book, Managing to Make a Difference. And also the other piece to that with leaders and managers is how critical it is to truly understand what are the expectations of the role. What are the very real expectations of the role? Kind of what percentage does each expectation have in that equation? Because that's how you can take a look at what does this person bring, what do we need, and are they in alignment? And I want to add to those remarks, Taylor, that I'm hoping we have a lot of listeners here who are supervisors and managers and need to uh, apply these things in the real world. And in the real world, if somebody is not in the right fit, it's we're kind of blithely saying, well, put them in a different job. That's a better fit. That option is not always available to a particular manager or supervisor that, you know, that, that there, there may not be an open job that they can easily transfer this person into. And so what do they do then? These are the hard realities. And I still say what you do then is help a person look around for something that's a better fit. And that might mean 
that they have to leave your company in order to do that. But that's a better alternative, even though that can be painful. It's a better alternative than leaving them in that job where they will have incredible stress trying to be somebody they're not. And that stress is going to bring along health problems. I absolutely guarantee you. And besides that, when somebody is in the wrong role, they're not going to perform with excellence. And all of your customers suffer. And their teammates suffer because their teammates then have to compensate for the deficiencies in performance that this individual is presenting, no matter how good their attitude is. That's the, that's the point here. Attitude alone doesn't produce excellence in performance. So I, I'm hoping we have a lot of people out there who are managers and supervisors to grapple with this in the real world. And I know this is not easy. It's not easy to tell somebody they're not a good fit for the role. But if you really want to make a difference. The, excuse me. Go ahead. I was going to say ahead. the corollary to that too is in selection, when you have a candidate that that has all the right skills, education, background, and experience for the role, and you really want to fill the role, but they're really not a fit, you know, their natural behaviors are not in alignment with what you need. The corollary to helping people move to a place where they are a fit is to hold out for the person who is a fit prior to selection, prior to hire. Yes, and no matter how how much you apply yourself to making that decision, you're just not going to get it right all the time. Nobody gets it right all the time. But don't leave people in those roles. All, all the people you support are worse off if you leave somebody in a role that's not a good fit for them. And, and the person who's the most worse off, if that's even a phrase, uh, uh, the, the person who has experienced kofefe there uh, because they're in the wrong role, they're, they're suffering the most. So uh, just remember that the more you care about a person, the more likely you are to have a difficult conversation of this sort because you care about them and to take the action that is most in their favor even if you have to work through some unpleasantness and some pain. You know, we talk about optimizing fit, and one of the stories you tell in the book, and Larry, I love your stories, but this one's one of my favorite, is you talk about the scorpion and the frog and how that illustrates to understanding people and and really knowing things that, that there's things that people can't do, can do, will do, and can't not do. Um, and, and you talk about the scorpion and the frog to illustrate that lesson, and I really like it. Could you tell our audience that story? Certainly. There's numerous versions of this story. They all have the same basic elements. There's a scorpion and a frog sitting on the side of a river. And scorpions, by the way, cannot swim. And the scorpion has a strong desire to get to the other side of the river. And he says to the frog, hey, you know, I, I can't swim. I want to get to the other side of the river. Would, can I hop on your back and would you carry me across the river? And the frog says, well, no, you're going to sting me and then I'm going to die. So no thank you. And the scorpion says, 
Well, that would be pretty stupid on my behalf, because if we're in the river and I sting you and you die, I'm going to drown. So I won't sting you. And the frog thinks about it. You know what? I never thought about it like that. That makes some sense. Okay, hop on. And they're about halfway across the river, and the scorpion stings the frog. (laughs) And with his last breath, the frog says, why in the heck did you do that? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion replies, I'm a scorpion. That's my nature. And they both die. And as Kyle was saying, there are things a person can't do. There are things a person can do. There are things a person will do, and then there are things a person can't not do. And when you think about your friends and your coworkers, and if you're a manager, some people who report to you, we all have those things that we can't not do. And understanding that helps you determine whether something is a good fit or a bad fit, because like the scorpion, we're, in certain respects, we're all scorpions. There are things we can't not do. And if we get into a role that is not favorable to us doing what we are compelled to do, which is the other way to state it, uh, and, and that's not what's going to lead to success in the role, we're, we're in trouble. I used to get in trouble in grade school. I used to get in trouble for talking too much. Now, pay attention to what I'm doing for a living right at the moment. Um, when, I went, when I was a student, it wasn't a good fit for me to be talking all the time. Uh, now, here I am in a microphone talking. <laughs> and so I've, I've, uh, I've, I've made my, my living over the years uh, using my mouth. But when I was in grade school, it wasn't a good fit. But I was a scorpion. I couldn't not do it. Sounds like Taylor and, and, you know, building relationships with people. There's, you know, Taylor can't not, for instance, can't not uh, build relationships and, and make connections with people. It's just, you know, it's just impossible for I You know, I've, I've told that story about Taylor several times where, you know, if Taylor is walking down the street uh, and she's on one side of the street and there's 10 people on the other side of the street and there's nobody on her side of the street, she's going to walk across the street and go talk to people because she can't help herself because she's so focused on building those relationships. And Taylor, I'm sorry, you're, you're the you know, subject of some of my stories, and that's why I'm teaching this concept. But, um, you know, that, that, that you know, we're all scorpions in some sort of way, which is you're kind of sad to think about in some cases, but there's always something that you can't not do. You know, I think of some perfectionists I know, and, you know, every once in a while to mess with them a little bit, you, you move things around on their desk. And, you know, they can't not walk in and, and move everything back to the way it's exactly supposed to be. And that's talent in action. And, and it's, it's kind of fun for me because I'm honoring that sort of way. And, you know, I can't not be honoring. Um, but that goes back to fit. And, and, you know, I think the concept of helping people to be their best self is to put them in a place where they can do those things that they're, they're really, truly gifted at, things they can't not do. And among other things, when we come back, we're not ready to take a break at this moment, but when we come back from the break, I want to address a strategy that is often used when somebody isn't performing well, and that involves uh, sending them to training of some sort to uh, uh, hopefully uh, help them exhibit the behaviors that will lead to success. And, and the other remark I want to make in this segment is when we talk about we're all scorpions in some 
sense there are things we all can't not do goes back to one of the most important messages of the book and the series of podcasts and that is to accept people as they are if you become aware that a person has such a strong theme in their life that they can't not do something there's no point in trying to help them not do that. There's no point in telling them they shouldn't do that. That This is what accepting people as they are is all about. Perfect. Well, that's a great transition, Larry. We're going to take a break here in just a few moments, and we'll come back with more insights from Larry and from Taylor. Um, Also, if you haven't gone there yet, you can go to our microsite, www.managetomakeadifference.com where you can download more information and some supporting documents on the growth formula, uh, in particular FIT, and other elements that we have up there if you wanted to learn a little bit more about Larry and Kim's book. Also, uh, several listeners have asked us about ordering bulk books, and we uh, we discovered that you can get a, a 20% discount on orders of six books or more uh, if you go to the site www800 ceoread.com again 800 ceoread.com if you wanted to order more books uh, we'll be right back after this short break to hear more from Larry and Taylor think you've seen everything there is to see in online television let us surprise you visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports health business and more on demand 24-7 When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and today's guest, Taylor McMaster, a senior leadership consultant with Talent Plus. 
If you do happen to be joining us today, uh, just joining us today, we've been discussing the element of fit from our growth formula that we introduced in a previous podcast. Fit is defined by placing an individual in a role where their natural talents and strengths are the ones that also lead to success in a specific role. We are also talking about how we are all scorpions, and if you are just joining us, you have no idea what that means, uh, but it's essentially uh, saying there are things that we all can't not do in many cases uh, and how that affects our fit in a certain type of role. Um, So we're going to come back into it. Larry was talking about uh, the concept of how we can help people to to change or not to change and and a a little bit of a concept around that when we think about fit and and people's uh, potential uh, for excellence. So I'll turn it over to Larry. I want to talk about a a common practice that in many cases – doesn't produce a lot of value. So you're a manager. You have somebody who is not performing up to your expectations in a job. And now I hope you can start asking the question, are they really in the right fit? But many times managers don't bother to ask that question. They just say, okay, you're not performing well. We now have to correct this. And here's how we're going to correct it. We're going to send you to training. Uh, in this in this particular area to fix fix this weakness and to get you yeah and so they send they send you to training and if you're not in the right fit if your performance deficiency is related to your talent that you simply don't have in your repertoire the potential to do certain behaviors with excellence no amount of training is going to get you there and, and so I, I want the listeners, I want you to recognize that there's a difference between room for improvement and potential for improvement. Your poor performers on your team may have the most room for improvement, but that doesn't mean they have the potential to improve. Counterintuitively, almost in every case, the people with the most potential for improvement are your top performers. You don't know where the ceiling is. That's why when they do the NFL draft, they don't recruit the people with the most room for improvement. They recruit the best players out of college football because they know those are the players with the most potential for continued improvement. And so focusing on your trying to get your poor performers who may be in the wrong fit, trying to get them to perform at the level of your top performers, which is what many supervisors are taught. That's when that's when that's what I was taught when I was a young supervisor. That's that's your job, Larry, to focus on those poor performers and get them to perform better. And so we did a lot of coaching and training. We invested a lot of time with them. I want you to think with respect to this conversation, I want you to think about Major League Baseball. Now, I know some of our listeners are not in the United States, and this is very much an an American sport. And so I, I apologize if if you if if you don't relate to this in, in your in your heart of hearts, but it works. In Major League Baseball, it is commonly known that pitchers are notoriously bad batters. Pitchers just aren't good batters. It's not one of their talents. Now, if a, a traditional manager took over a baseball team, this manager might say to the pitcher, what is wrong with you? I notice you're spending all your time in pitching practice, but you're a terrible batter, but I never see you go to batting practice. 
What is, you know, I am commanding you. You're already a good pitcher. Never mind the practicing of pitching. Go to batting practice and become a better batter. Now, I happen to know Kyle knows plenty about, about baseball. Kyle, what do you think would happen to the pitcher's pitching if the pitcher stopped going to pitching practice? Well, it would probably get worse, Larry. <laughs> well, yeah, because no matter how good you are, you have to constantly practice your craft in order to maintain that level of performance. You know, there was a, a one of the best pianists in the world over the last century was a gentleman by the name of Vladimir Horowitz. And he used to say, if I skip a day of practice, I can notice it in my performance. But only I. If I skip two days, my wife can notice. If I skip three days, the world knows. You can't maintain the highest levels of excellence in what you're doing unless you constantly practice your craft. So the, the pitching would get worse, no question. And and so the pitcher is now spending all his time in batting practice. And, and he is and terrific. He, he, he has, probably hates it too. He, but he has a good attitude about right. it. Right. He, he, it's like going to the dentist. This is good for me. Uh, <laughs> I hate it, but it's good for me. Right. And, and uh, apologies to all the dentists out there. Uh, but is he going to become a great batter? Probably not. Almost certainly not. Batting is not how the pitcher adds the most value to to the team. Batting is not the way the pitcher has the most success for himself. Uh, It's it's pitching. But he might get better at batting. He would get better if he practiced batting all the time. He's a good athlete. So he'll get better, but he won't be a great batter. not great. He won't be a great batter. Uh, And if we have any baseball historians out there, they'll know that when Babe Ruth first started playing, he was a pitcher. And he was actually quite a good pitcher. He had a good record. Yep. Uh, however, he was such a good batter that uh, the manager of the team wisely uh, said, you're not pitching anymore, so you can bat every day. Uh, so we, we would know if somebody was going to be a good batter. So here's the message for the Americans here who understand baseball. Here's the way you summarize this. Don't send your pitchers to batting practice. And the lesson continues in baseball because – what is the workaround here? So if you're not going to make the pitcher a better batter, when you really when, the, when you really need a hit, how do you how do you manage that? Pinch hitter. Yeah, you put a pinch hitter in. You put a pinch hitter in, and that's what we're. This is how you make a difference in somebody's life. If somebody is is a good pitcher, keep them in pitching and let them make the best contribution to the team and have the most success for themselves. And this is how you create synergy where I can say to you, thank God you're here. I'm a lousy batter. We really need a hit. You go take my place. You go pinch hit for me. And and that will help the team the most. And this is how you produce synergy on a team. It's all, it's all about optimizing fit. And you can't optimize fit unless you understand what somebody's talent is. Then figure out what the right fit is for their natural gifts, for their talent. And that's how you're going to create synergy. When people have complementary gifts and they're all in the right fit for the use of those gifts. Okay, so I have a question for you and Taylor to answer then. When you talk about team and synergy, what about this common phrase that you hear, a team is only as strong as its weakest link then? Isn't that counter to what you were telling me? Taylor, can I answer this? Absolutely. I, I, this is one of my favorite discussions. <laughs> I know. There's, there's a mythology that a team is only as strong as its weakest player. And this mythology comes about 
by the recognition that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Then somebody slides over and says, therefore, a team is only as strong as its weakest player. That is, it's true of chains, but it's not true of teams. If teams were only as strong as their weakest player, we, we've got the we got the uh, NFL playoffs coming up. We're going to have, you know, we're going to have a champion. And before the big game, if teams were only as strong as their weakest player, the the analysts on television would be would be comparing the weakest players to each other in order to predict which team is most likely to win. It's ludicrous. They don't do that. Teams are as strong as their strongest players. And we all know what happens when there's one player who's the star and that player gets injured and can't play on a particular game. There's a lot of consternation. Uh, and and sometimes the team rises to the challenge and, and sometimes they don't. But But teams are as strong as their strongest players. So focusing on the poor performers, trying to correct their deficiencies, ignores the reality that there is a difference between room for improvement and potential for improvement. So get everybody in the right fit. And you've got to understand what their gifts are, their talents, their aptitudes. Those are all synonyms. You've got to understand those gifts. Put somebody in a role where their natural gifts and their natural behaviors are the behaviors that lead to success and you are going to optimize the results of your team you're going to optimize and this is for everybody it's not just for your star player it's for everybody get them in the right fit you'll optimize morale engagement productivity quality all of those things move in the right direction when you focus on optimizing fit and it's one of the most important ways that you can make a difference in the lives of the people who report to you. So you get out of the business of focusing on what's wrong with those people and get in the business of focusing on what's right about those people and celebrating that and amplifying it. So Taylor and and Larry, I've, I've got a question that I want to pose to both of you that, that I want you to answer actually uh, when we come back here from our, our break in just a few moments. And that's um, you know, and we're going to answer a bunch of other questions in the last segment here, but this is really pertaining to today's topic, and it's, you know, what if I have a boss who is a scorpion, okay? And in terms of the boss just can't not try to fix people, or me for that matter, let's say, um, how do I manage that? Uh, you know, they're so compelled to try and fix people. What do you do? What do you do to help them? So I want you guys to think about that. Um, as we go into the break, because um, I'd love to hear your answer to that, and I think it might help some of our, our listeners as well. Taylor, I'm going to let you start us off after the break on that one. All right. So uh, so as soon as we get back, we're going to hear from Taylor and from Larry to tell us about how uh, to work with a boss who just can't help themselves but to try and fix people. Um, and again, if you have questions like that uh, for our audience, feel free to just go ahead um, and click on the podcast. You Send us an email. Send us a question. We'd love to hear uh, from you to learn more about uh, uh, your questions that can, might be able to help you to, to manage to make a difference. Uh, so we'll be right back after a few moments with Larry and Taylor as we finish our last segment and we answer a few questions uh, from our audience. Talk to you very soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Well, welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and our guest, Taylor McMaster. Uh, For our final segment, we're going to answer a few questions from listeners. Um, And this is also a good time to remind everyone that if you do have questions or comments, again, just click the email host button to submit those. Uh, Before we left for the break, uh, we were talking about fit and how to optimize it. And again, when we talk about fit, it's when uh, you get, when you have somebody in a role where their talents and strengths are the ones needed for excellence in that position. And we were talking about uh, the concept of scorpions and the fact that there are certain things that people just can't not do. Um, and I posed a question to Larry and to Taylor. Um, I have a boss who's a scorpion. Uh, in terms of this boss can't not try to fix people. Um, how do I manage that? And, and I, I wanted to get uh, Larry and Taylor to tell me maybe some of their best, pra- best practice for managing uh, that boss who just can't seem to stop trying to fix people, uh, even though that they, they don't have potential uh, in that sort of area. So I'll turn it over. Uh, Taylor, how would you answer that question? Well, and I think that it... Um and just as everything, it's going to be very kind of situational dependent and depend upon the people involved. But if you have a manager or a boss who just can't help but try to fix people, um, they, they just, again, you need to understand and, and, and accept that that person can't help themselves. It's like the scorpion who's going to sting the frog. Um, and so what, at that point, one of the things I would advise someone to do is to really look at what are they striving really hard to fix because that gives you some indicator of what's really important to them. What's the most important to that boss based upon where their focus falls? What are they always working on? And so then, again, if I'm coaching an individual, I'm going to say to them, are there ways that you can create some strategies to, uh, to work around those areas? If they're trying to fix an area that's not as strong for you, can you figure out some strategies 
so that they're seeing some improvement in that area, even if you're drawing it from your, some of your other strengths. Because, obviously, the things that they're, that boss is trying to work on are really vital to them. And how can we uh, honor both sides of that equation and see if we can't get some form of improvement um, so that the boss is feeling better about the overall picture? And I, I would add to that, this is a difficult situation. And I'm sure that many of our listeners are in this situation where they have a boss who's trying to work on weakness and it's, it's an area that is just not a natural uh, talent for them. And it, it, they struggle no matter how good their, their attitude is. It, and these are, these are tough conversations. Another thing that might work is you have to say to the boss, what do you hope to accomplish? Let's say I get a lot better here. What do we, to what end do we want me to get better here? What outcomes will I be better able to produce? What, 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 you know, what are you trying to get me to, why are you working on this? What do you hope will happen if I get better at this? And then if you can get them to answer what they hope will happen, you have the opportunity at least to say, okay, you want that outcome. How about I get you that outcome, but I don't do it by fixing this particular weakness that you want me to fix. Suppose I can get you that outcome by using different strengths or taking a slightly different approach than you have in mind. Would that be okay? And try to figure out to what end the boss wants you to fix this. What's, what in the bigger picture, what does he hope will happen? And then see if you can make that happen without fixing it. Takes a lot of courage to do something. Yes, like that. it does. I, it does. I say it's a tough situation. Uh, there's no, there's no way for us to have a a magic solution to a boss who wants to focus on what's wrong with people rather than what's right with people. The the, the what I hope to accomplish in the book and in in this podcast is to encourage people. Don't you be that boss. That's good advice. And it goes so, back to to destroying someone's self-esteem or confidence. You bet. You bet. And when a boss is always trying to fix weaknesses. So sort of like, uh, you know, Google's sort of mantra, don't do evil. Um, don't you know, do don't, evil. Don't be evil, that sort of thing. So we, we've got several questions that we've had come in, and, and I, I want to ask uh, Taylor and Larry to follow up on a couple of them. You know, we did a podcast recently on onboarding and the uh, the follow Shirley method, which is essentially, um, you know, having whoever's available to do the onboarding or, you know, when somebody starts, you have them follow Shirley around and you know, find out that, you know, somewhere through that process, Shirley shows them where the coffee is and the bathrooms and the break room and, you know, kind of what they're going to be doing. And somewhere through that process, by the way, this place sucks. You know, that that's the follow Shirley method for onboarding. And one of the questions that came in is, are there any pros to the follow Shirley method that you found useful? And, you know, what about like hands-on learners or visual learners uh, that, that may find that method to be more useful. So what do you think, Larry or Taylor? Well, uh, first of all, I happen to be able to see Kyle's notes while I'm sitting here. And I just want to mention that this question comes to us from Harriet Kofefe. So thank you, Harriet. <laughs> uh, the, 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 there are, what we were recommending was not to throw the follow Shirley method out completely, but to make it more organized so that there is a list of things that people are going to learn, and that list is in a particular order. 
excuse me, sorry. Uh, the list is in a particular order. So no matter who that new employee is following around, all the employees who are doing the teaching are working from the same checklist so that you don't just randomly learn whatever Shirley happens to be doing on this shift on this day. There's more organization about it. So as a matter of fact, our our, our recommendation wasn't to completely abandon it. It was just to make it more organized and, and therefore make it better and to make sure you're choosing the right person to have the new employee follow around. And that right person is not necessarily the best performer. It's the best teacher. And the best teacher may not be the best performer. As we've said in other podcasts, the best coaches often weren't the best players on the field. Coaching is its own, is its own endeavor and takes its own talent. Uh, so it's, it's A, choosing the right Shirley to follow around, and right. B, just making it, it better organized, not to abandon it uh, completely, because if you do it right, it's a great method. Well, I've got a follow-up question that says, is there a standard length for training like that, that it should be for onboarding? You know, some, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's a full month. Is I, there a standard? Well, it, it, I think the best length is about 15 and a half inches. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I apologize for that. But it, it, the, the, the length of the training depends on what it is you're teaching somebody. If you're, if you're teaching them brain surgery, the length of that training might right. be considerably longer than if I'm teaching you how to decant a wine. <laughs> so the length of the training depends a lot on what it is you want somebody to learn. And, and the individual. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, because all of this, with the Shirley method, as well as the standard length of time, goes back to fit. And um, as we know, people have different learning styles. They have, uh, you know, they may need to check back and kind of relearn some of the lessons. So to have just a, an arbitrary kind of standard length of time uh, doesn't typically work because it's predicated on so many different elements. But the, the thing I think we're talking about, and what Larry's talking about with uh, with the follow Shirley is not to throw it out, but to really think about fit again and choose your team of Shirley so that it's not just a random handoff to whoever happens to show up first, but that there is some good thought behind it and and fit for the person who does it best. Thanks, Taylor. Well, I see that we are out of time today. Um, uh, big thanks to our guest, Taylor. It's great to have you on the on the podcast with us. You, you made the show a lot more fun, a lot more interesting, I'm sure. Um, our next podcast is going to be Set the Right Expectations and Ask the Right Questions. Um, so come join us for our next podcast and learn more about asking the right questions and expectations. And don't forget the power of the growth formula, talent plus fit. Times investment equals growth, and specifically how you can optimize fit and ultimately others' growth. If you haven't ordered your book yet of Managing to Make a Difference, it's available on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And uh, we'll see you next time with more tips from Larry and from Kim Turnage. So until then, manage to make a difference in those around you every day. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 
2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.